Good morning. Welcome. Here we are at Rolling Grace Middle School. Let's see, I've got a couple things this morning. If you are new with us or if you're a regular, either way, it doesn't make any difference. But out on that table out there, we have a Jesus Storybook Bible for our kids. We have an NIV Study Bible, if you don't have one of those. And we have a One Year Bible that I'd encourage you to get in. If you've not grabbed one of those, please grab one um, on your way out. There, We just give them away. And I hope we have to keep ordering more because we keep giving so many away. All right? Um, and if in that one-year Bible, I have so many people say, Michael, I always start the one-year Bible every year and then I don't finish it. Everybody breathe deep. <sighs> Here's what I want you to do. If you're going to commit to the one-year Bible, just start with the proverb. You know how long the proverb is? It's two verses. It'll take you seven seconds. I promise, seven seconds. Put it next to your bed and go, Lord Jesus, this year, I'm going to read the proverb every night before I go to bed. And just start. And what the Holy Spirit can do with a person who has momentum and is moving in the Spirit is amazing. Leave the rest to him. All right? Okay, make sure you get those. That is amazing. What is the other thing I need? Okay, these car care bags. So... Uh, two quick thoughts. Um, Jesus came and much of, his, much of the ministry of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament is about those um, who are impoverished, widows, orphans, fatherless, the stranger, the foreigners among us, uh, those who are living in poverty. And this is just a little initiative we partnered with a few people on. This is a car care bag. And the idea here is that as you pass someone who doesn't have a home, by the way, we're going to talk about a guy today. What's his name? Jesus, can you imagine that? And did Jesus have a home? Selah. So here's a car care bag you can grab on your way out. But one of the things that um, Abby and I believe, and just we even as a church believe, is when we see somebody who is living in a situation like that, we don't want to walk by, but we also don't want to open the window and give money. So this gives you an opportunity to actually open your window and hand it out. And then here's what I would encourage you to do. And everything about Saltbox sort of emanates this one central principle. If you've seen our little shirts with a square on them, it doesn't say church on it. Do you know why? Because the entire purpose of those, that little logo and that little square is actually to begin a conversation so that you can begin to interact with someone. I'm convinced that the God of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is fiercely relational. And so the idea of both a car care bag, the idea of a salt box square, the idea of your life in Christ Jesus is that you would be inviting and beginning conversations and relationships. So I hope that this becomes a source of empowerment for you. And if you have kids, grab those and live Jesus in front of your kids. Don't walk by. But don't hand money either. Take a car care bag. If these go well, we'll, we'll keep doing them. Okay, that's it. Amen. Okay, let's talk about a 30-year-old homeless guy named Jesus. Thanks for laughing. All right, we're in John chapter 5. Scroll, turn, whatever you're going to do. Um, John chapter 5, uh, we're going to start in verse 16. And uh, this launches into Jesus talking about his own um, identity. So, in, in fact, uh, speaking of one-year Bible, in our one-year Bible reading this morning was Luke 10, 16. Let's just start there. 
Jesus said, this is Luke 10, 16, right out of one of your Bible, to his disciples, anyone who accepts your message, the disciples' message of who? Jesus, that's right. Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me, which is Jesus. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me, Jesus. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God. That's heavy when you start to like get it. Okay, Lord Jesus, give us revelation. In fact, reach forward your hand at me and say, Lord, help Michael today. All right, now touch your own heart and say, Lord, help me today. There's big revelation in here if we can get our arms around it. So what we're actually jumping into is, is last week we talked about the man who'd been um, uh, disabled for 38 years. He's around the pool of Bethesda. Jesus heals him, and Jesus chose to heal him actually on a Sabbath day. So that's like our Sunday. Could Jesus have waited till Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday or whenever? Yeah. But he chooses to do it on the high holy Sabbath day. Why? Jesus has intentionally gone up to Jerusalem or down to Jerusalem because he's going from, from Galilee. He goes down to Jerusalem and he has intentionally gone down to come against the religious system. And here's why. The religious system, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and at this point and in this passage, what they've done is they've taken the Old Testament Mosaic law, which was, hey, take a Sabbath, take a day of rest and don't do any work on that day so that, what's the heart? Why no work? You can cultivate relationship with God. It's, it's, a, it's a strategic timeout. It's a strategic pause to um, be in and enter in and, and love relationship with, with Yahweh God. That's the whole point of rest. It was created for people. But what all these religious people have done is they've taken this, this um, statement, don't work, and they've made a hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, a list just all, just so long, of all these things that they have come to define as work. Now, God didn't define them as work. This is human-made laws and rules that they have begun to put down. And so there's all these things that, that if you can uh, even picture um, a, a yoke that would go on the neck of a, of a um, cow or an oxen um, in this time, like a wooden yoke that gets put on the shoulders of a, of a beast of burden, like an ox. And then as the ox moves forward, it pulls the cart that's behind them. Well, all of these rules and all of these laws have become like this heavy weighted yoke on the, the people, on the Jewish people. And they're so heavy that people have lost relationship with Yahweh God. Does that make sense? So Jesus rolls in specifically to do and work the miraculous and perform some signs and wonders on the Sabbath day because he's going to come right against the heart of the religious system. Like he's going to come right in there and just crack it wide open. All right. Let me start also, but before we start reading in verse 16 of John 5, I want to read you a C.S. Lewis quote. I love C.S. Lewis. And he's talking not specifically about this passage, but he's talking about passages such as these throughout the New Testament that Jesus said. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. In the mouth of any speaker who is not God, these words, what words? These words, so the, the words in red, if you have a red, red letter Bible, these words would imply what I can only regard as silliness and conceit unrivaled by any character in history. You got to drink that, like you got to get it. 
These words that Jesus is saying would imply what I can only regard as silliness and conceit unrivaled by any character in history. You must make your choice. Either this man, Jesus, was and is the son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. One of the things that we'll um, get into and wrestle today is you cannot, if you actually read and understand the words of Jesus, both in the original language and in our English translation, you cannot for even a minute simply say that he is a good moral teacher. You can't do it. And, and there are even um, ultra-liberal scholars who will say, well, he never claimed to be God. And I'm actually going to show you this morning in this short little passage that he said unequivocally and undeniable, I am God. That's what he said. So you can't simply say, oh, he was a good moral teacher. No, no, no. You would be an absolute fool. Jesus is either uh, the king of kings and the Lord of lords who came to earth, uh, Yahweh God who put on skin to walk among us and deliver us from our sins, or he's a crazy person that should have been killed. That's it. No in between. Okay. So as we, and even as Jesus establishes his own identity this morning, if he establishes his identity and we're in Christ, where's our identity? In, in Jesus. And then we actually become image bearers of Jesus in every sphere we're planted. Okay, so uh, Jesus is Yahweh God with skin on. Yeah? He's about to tell us what his identity is. He's about to speak to us about that. And then we who come and surrender our lives and Jesus takes up life and residence inside of us, we now become image bearers of Yahweh God with skin on him. Follow me? Okay, let's keep going. So two, two rhetorical questions just as we wrestle through this whole passage because it's weighty and, and kind of heavy. Um, but number one, have you recognized Jesus as God? Question number one. Question number two, what are you going to do about this Jesus today? Because he's going to mess things up for you. If you really recognize him as God. Okay. As we read this morning, I want you to remember that John, as he writes this book, it's 70 years after Jesus ascended. And I don't think, John is attempting to give us the exact words of Jesus, but I think he's also attempting to get us, give us the, the meaning and the essence of what Jesus is attempting to communicate here. And um, I, what I'm going to attempt to do as we walk through it, which is rather challenging because we're going to read this, and as Americans in 2022, we're going to miss most of what Jesus says. Like, we just don't get it. So what we're going to attempt to do here is actually kind of peel back um, the layers and see that all of the thoughts and all of the expressions and all the claims, even in the Old Testament, pointing to King Jesus, that he is the Messiah, Jesus um, majestically sort of weaves everything in together, and he's actually saying so clearly in this passage that I'm God. And that's, that's if we can see anything today, it's like, oh, Lord Jesus, would you help us to peel back the layers and actually grasp and see the essence of what you're communicating here. All right, so four things I'm going to attempt to, to pull out as we look at this. Number one, we're going to talk about Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath. 
Number two, we're going to talk about Jesus being Lord of life. Number three, we're going to talk about Jesus being um, the Messiah or the Son of Man. That's going to take on some different meaning for us shortly. And then we're going to land on Jesus uh, being the judge. So here we go. Let's read. John 5, verse 16. I'm reading out of the NIV. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. This is the beginning of Jesus' death. This is the beginning. This is why they took him to a cross and pounded nails through his hands and feet. In his defense, Jesus said to them, now this is fascinating that they would even write, in his defense, because what he's about to declare here is mind-blowing. In his defense, Jesus said to them, so all the religious people that want to kill him, my father is always at work, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. There's, there's three things that I think begin to emerge right here. Number one, uh, Jesus is identifying himself perfectly with God. So rabbinic leaders of the day would never say, my father, they would say, our father. So there's a depersonalization. So Jesus, by saying my father, he's saying my flesh and blood. He's saying I am this Yahweh with skin on. I am Yahweh incarnate. I am God among you. So number one, he establishes uh, the identity of God. And, and then uh, secondly, he's actually establishing his identity based on his complete obedience to God. Okay, so he's saying God's working. And who's working too? Jesus. So God's working and then Jesus working with God. So he's saying there's an identity with God, the mind of God, the mind of Jesus. In other words, if you want to know what does God have to say about sin, who do we look at? Jesus. If you want to know what God wants to say about um, religious people, who do you look at? Jesus. If you want to look at what God has to say about where the world is or where politics is or where school or education, anything you want to look at, who do we look at? Jesus. The problem is many of us, especially Western America, in Western America, filter um, what Jesus is saying through our own lens and probably miss the essence of it. So, Lord, help us. Okay, so he's establishing his identity with God, that Jesus um, has the mind of God. Um, Jesus has the words of God. Jesus has the actions of God. Um, and then secondly, he goes, uh, this identity is based on complete obedience to God. So that, that word we even use when Mike opened up the service and he said, we're leading people to become fully surrendered followers of Christ. Jesus is saying he is so fully surrendered to God that he and God are one. One heartbeat. One set of thoughts. I mean, he is, he is um, and, and even the reason that he could die our death, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, that he could die our death is that he has felt what it felt like to have human feelings and emotions and cravings and desires and passions. And he's felt and lived in our bodies. He has known what it's like to live here. And he was sinless. So he maintained a posture that is so surrendered before God that he was able to uh, flawlessly have oneness of heart and oneness of mind with Yahweh God. It's mind-boggling. Now, are all of us moving that way? Ideally, yes. Little baby steps every day, right? And it's not really a progression. It's more like a surrendering. So uh, you'll hear me say a lot of times things like, I was saved, I have been saved, and I'm being saved. It, it doesn't mean there wasn't one point in time where I gave my heart and life to King Jesus, but there is a progression. It's like this daily surrendering. Um, I was filled with the Spirit. I'm being filled with the Spirit, and I will be filled with the Spirit. That's the journey of Jesus. That's the journey of life, abiding sort of in Him. 
Okay, and then I think the last thing that Jesus is revealing to, my father is, is always at work to this very day, and I too am working, is he's saying this identity is based on a total love relationship with God. And this is what's transformational because these religious um, people, these religious folks of the day are trying to force external rules and regulations on people and they're, they're um, leaving this love relationship that's really at the center of it all out of the equation. It's a total mess. And Jesus is, is immediately talking about this unity of love that he has with the Father. That's why we go, Jesus is fiercely relational. Open that one-year Bible before you begin your day or before you go to sleep or whatever. Listen to the Lord because he's got something to say to you personally, practically. He walks with us. We're called to abide in him. Now, now just go there a minute. If you're driving down the road, if you're at work, if you're with your kids, if you're impatient and angry and all the stuff we get, right? Come on. You get that way too. I know you do. It's not just me. Okay. In those moments, how do you even abide in King Jesus? That's good. Somebody said it. Jesus, help me. You surrender it all again. Lord Jesus, help me. Lord Jesus, fill me. Lord Jesus, would you change my attitude? I say that all the time. All the time. Okay, let's keep going. Verse, uh, Verse 18. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You've you got to understand, too, you've got Pharisees and Sadducees who have spent their entire lives, like every little jot and tittle of the law, every little thing it said, all the man-made rules, they've, they've like rigorously tried to obey every last thing. And all of a sudden you have some 30-year-old upstart who's a rock mason and a carpenter roll in and absolutely homeless and turn everything up on its ear. Like he just throws everything aside and you've got people who've dedicated their whole lives to this thing and he's doing miracles and he's inviting the kingdom and presence of God into Jerusalem at this moment. And they're like, no way, get out of here. They're jealous and they're angry. So for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. See this love relationship begin to emerge? Jesus is only going to do what he sees God doing. So Yahweh God, the Lord Jesus, this oneness of heart, this oneness of mind, even though he, Jesus, is on earth, Yahweh God is in heaven, there's this oneness, and Jesus is demonstrating and then inviting us into that same oneness. Okay, He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. I can't imagine even sitting there listening when Jesus said this. All right, go back up to the very beginning of 19. Very truly, I tell you. Okay, Um, he says that again in, I think, 24, verse 24. Very truly, I tell you. We're not there yet. But... Um, in, in the original language, very truly I tell you is, amen, amen. Amen, I'm in. And you can translate that truly, truly. Some, tra- some of the, I think King James might say truly, truly. Um, some translations um, say uh, truth. Um, some translations, uh, but, but, but what Jesus is saying is, in the original language, on that day, he would have said, amen, amen. Before he started. Isn't that interesting? 
Amen, amen. Now, if you put amen at the end of a sentence, it means um, it is so or may it be so, and it becomes a declarative act of faith. So when you sit with two people, if Beatty and I are sitting together and we're, and we're praying together over something, at the end we say, and we're saying, so let it be. It's a declarative act of faith. All that we've just prayed in the name of Jesus, so let it be. Okay, at the beginning of a sentence, though, Jesus is saying, amen, amen, or truth, truth. Like, listen to me, people. He's saying, this is real. This is true. This is God. Let me tell you. He's saying, amen, amen. So you get in a church service, and if you're not a, if you've not been around church people for a long time or Jesus people or faith people, you get in here, and when the pastor or somebody, a musician or somebody up on stage says something that's true, somebody in the audience will say, amen. amen. What are they saying? Truth. Preach. They're, 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 they're emphasizing, they're actually repeating um, the Lord Jesus. It's, it's amazing. But, but if you're a new person to the faith and you come in and people are like, amen, you know, somebody's quoting Hebrew. It's like, what? It's a little, it can be a little weird, right? But here's the deal. Amen, amen. Truth. Truth. Your job as a Christian believer is not to take everything I say or anybody says up on this platform or on YouTube or wherever you're listening to people as gospel truth. What's your job? Ooh, come on, this is hard for us American Christians. Your job is to begin to be a, a faith-filled person that can hear and listen and discern and understand. And is it okay to listen to a pastor or a leader or a teacher and chew the meat and spit the bones? Yes, there's a lot of bones being thrown right now. A lot of bones. So, <clears throat> if I say something that's true, and someone says, amen, you can do that. You're just saying truth, Jesus. You're not saying, wow, the bald guy on the stage is cool. No, 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 you're saying, Jesus is king. All right, so let's try that. Jesus is king. Amen. Come on. All right, that's good. Okay, truly, truly, verily, verily. The son can do nothing by himself. Um, where are we? Verse, verse 20. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. The intimacy that is in this thing is so profound. I, I, it's like words absolutely fail. Um, Jesus is, is talking to a group who is stuck in dead religion and self-righteous works and cleaning the outside. And all of a sudden he comes onto the scene and he's talking about a love relationship between the father and the son. And he's inviting each of us into that love relationship. It, it's, it's absolutely, it's, it's mind boggling and shows him all he does. Yes. And he will show him even greater works than these. And you will be amazed. So let me, let me pause here and let you into something about me. I tend to encounter God um, most powerfully in nature. I don't know why. It's just how God meets me. He might meet you a different way. It's okay. No big deal. Um, but, but one of the times that I remember counting, and I could tell you eight or ten stories like this over the course of my life, but one time that I remember having this moment of absolute awe is I was, um, I was summiting uh, Mount Rainier. It's a mountain out in Seattle, or near Seattle. It's in Washington State. And I was summiting this mountain, and we'd gone up a, um, a vertical ice shaft to the summit. We'd been snowed in for 48 hours, couldn't move at 13,000 feet or something like that. And we get out of our tents. We have a little break in the weather window. We climb to the top. And at the top of the mountain, it's blowing about 60 miles an hour, give or take. I have no idea. And the, the snow's going which way? Sideways. That's right. I can't see through my goggles. And, you know, it's a big mess. And at the top of Mount Rainier, there is this volcanic steam vent. 
and it just belches steam. And so I'm standing at the top of the mountain. Just We were there for a very short time. Like you spend all this time trying to climb to the top of a mountain, and you stay there for like 120 seconds. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> what? You got the Pacific Ocean. You got Seattle. You got all the expanse of, of all of uh, Washington State expanding before you. The wind's blowing 60 miles an hour. The wind chills like negative 20. And this, this volcanic um, crack next to me is just belching steam out. And I am sitting there gripped. I'm exhausted. I'm slightly dehydrated. I'm tired. And I'm standing there. And I just remember being absolutely flooded with the magnificence and the holiness of this creator, God. There is a mystery that is contained in the person of God and who he is. And Jesus is actually accessing this in this moment. And I'm convinced that Jesus uh, walked into Jerusalem intentionally doing what he saw the Father doing. And the Father, Yahweh God, led him to the pool of Bethesda, pointed out this person who's been sick for 38 years, who's laying on his mat, if you were here last week, right? Laying on his mat. And Jesus says, do you want to be well? And he says, get, take, get up, roll up your mat and walk. And then Jesus does this specifically to invite the criticism and the ugliness of the religious leaders so that he can go in and he can break the, the yoke of bondage and heaviness that's been put on the people and he can bring his people into freedom because he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's something here that if we as Christians could even get, I think we would never be the same. We would be so gripped with the awe of God and the holiness of God and the justice of God. But all the holiness of God and the justice of God and the righteousness of God is all encapsulated in the bookends and undergirded in the love of God and the mercy of God. Oh, that we could understand. The Father loves the Son. Now, Jesus is called a son. That's his identity. He's a son. Okay? If you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you, what are you? A son or a daughter. That's your identity. If, G if you can begin to grasp what Jesus is saying about who he is, then you'll begin to grasp what he's saying about who you are. And I'm telling you, all of a sudden stuff changes. So let me just give you an example. Um, someone uh, steals something from you. Where you would usually rear up, where you would usually get defensive, where you would usually get angry, all of a sudden you go, I'm a son of the king. And there is forgiveness that replaces animosity. Now, is that instantaneous? No. Uh, keep going. If you're a son or a daughter, when someone says something about you or betrays you, what's the first response? Come on, y'all don't get defensive, do you? Y'all don't get angry, do you? You're not like me, are you? There is something, though, that begins to happen when all of a sudden you begin to go, hang on a second, King Jesus was the son of God, and I am the son of of God too. I am the daughter of God too. If we could hear on a daily basis God our Father saying, this is my son or this is my daughter with whom I'm well pleased, can you imagine how that would change? 
Can you imagine how it would shift us if we actually believe that we have this God and this Father who loves us and intends good things for us, and even if through the suffering and through the difficulty and through the pain and through the turmoil, even if it's not good yet, is taking us on a course and a trajectory that in the end the goodness of God will be revealed in it and through it. That's what this thing is all about. This Jesus journey is about grasping the depth and the height and the width of the love of Christ Jesus. So the first thing that we begin to see here is Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was merely a time out where God is calling a moment for people to engage in more deep and more significant relationship with him. Sabbath was created to serve people, and these religious people made uh, the people serve the Sabbath. Make sense? Okay, let's keep going. I think the other thing that I just need to point out before we move off of verse 20 is there's two things that I love about Jesus here is I see, number one, the complete confidence of Jesus. I mean, total confidence. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that when he starts saying about this love relationship between him and the Father and what he does, and he only does what he sees the Father doing, he knows that it's going to cost him his life. He is so unbelievably confident. And when you become a son of God or a daughter of God, guess what happens? Come on. What happens? Confidence. Doesn't mean it have to be arrogance, but confidence. I can't stand when I'm insecure. You know what that feeling? Or questioning myself or wondering, God, where are you? My favorite moments are when I feel confident in him. The second thing that I think is revealed so clearly in that verse 20 is the complete fearlessness. I mean, absolute brazen, system-bucking, in-your-face fearlessness of King Jesus. I mean, this 30-year-old homeless guy is here overturning the entire religious system, and he has established fully in his own heart that it's more important to be true to God than to fear humans. It's a beautiful revelation here. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so even the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. What's he saying there? He's got a whole crowd of religious leaders, and he's saying, hey, God raises the dead, and guess what I'm going to do? Raise the dead. Now, probably speaking, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he hadn't actually raised anybody from the dead. And they probably looked at him and thought, you absolute silly little 30-year-old lunatic, get out of here. That's probably what's going on in, in the minds of these people. But what he begins to establish there, and let's read 22. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. All right, so Jesus is saying, number one, I'm the giver of life. Number two, I'm the bringer of judgment, which we're going to deal with at the end of this chapter. And then number three, I'm the one who has been and who will be honored. And if I could say anything about the New Testament church, it's in all their persecution, in all their small numbers, and all the poverty, and all the failure of influence, and all the disloyalty, and all the betrayal, the New Testament church never doubted the ultimate triumph of King Jesus. They never questioned that in the end, he was going to break through and establish his lordship on the earth. And if it was bad or difficult or challenging or ugly, it's because it wasn't the end. 
Listen to me, some of you are in a difficult place today and I'd say take heart because this King Jesus is wanting to meet you and carry you and if it's really bad and really difficult and really hard, hang on, buckle down, be fearless and courageous in him and know beyond a shadow of a doubt, amen, amen, truth, truth, it will, he will break through on my behalf. Come on, that's gospel truth. purposes of God is always the salvation of his people. And in the end, nothing can frustrate or prevent that. His will. Satan can't. The world can't. The evil will of people can't. All of those things might delay God's ultimate purpose, but they cannot defeat it and they cannot remove it. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Okay. Verse 25, there there it is. Very truly I tell you. Amen, amen. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. All right, now, everyone sitting there in this day would have known that he was cross-referencing Daniel 7. So let me just flip back to Daniel 7. We're going to read two verses out of Daniel 7. If you're scrolling on your phone, scroll back. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Here it is. So what I love about Jesus is whenever he's standing in a crowd, he is looking out, surveying the people there, understanding even their unique perspective, their place, their space, their conviction, and then he is actually going to speak to where they are and into their hearts at that moment. So here's what Daniel 7, verses... 13 and 14 says, in my vision, this is Daniel speaking, at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. Son of man. The son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days. Who's the ancient of days? Yahweh God. Okay. So the son of man, who's the son of man? has approached the Ancient of Days, Yahweh God, and he was led into his presence. You'll hear us a lot of times invite the presence of God, talk about the presence of God. Verse 14, he, the Son of Man, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. All right, let's read 20, verse, back to John chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 26 now with that frame of reference. So every person standing there would have known that Daniel passage. Here's what he said in verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the... What Jesus is saying unequivocally to everyone that is listening, to every person in the room, is he is taking the entirety of the Old Testament from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament. And he is actually saying there's multiple passages we could look at about the Son of Man, but I think this one is the most clear. And Jesus is calling upon all the religious leaders. He's calling upon all the people in Israel who would have known this passage and known this story and known, and they were all waiting for this Messiah because they wanted him to overthrow the Roman persecution that was on their nation. 
salvation. And when he says the son of man, when he declares this son of man, he is saying, I am the Messiah. I am God. I am here to save you if you will reach out and access and enter into deep and significant relationship with me. Daniel, in that passage we just read, was written in a day of terror and persecution, Babylonian captivity. Jesus walked the earth in days of terror and persecution, Roman captivity. When Christianity thrives, nations prosper. Typically, we as Christians care less about God, turn away from him, and our hearts grow cold, right? When things get adverse towards Christ, think Daniel in the Babylonian captivity, think Jesus in the Roman captivity, when things grow darker, people suddenly turn their face away from their big houses and their bank accounts and their jobs, and who do they look at? Back to Jesus. Now listen to me, this is so important. There are so many Christians right now wringing their hands, going, what is happening to our nation? What is happening to our country? We we are post-Christian, and I want to invite you into something. This is so clear. And I want to actually even speak a second to something that's very unusual. It happened in the 1960s in San Francisco on a street called Haight Street and a street called Ashbury Street. And people like Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix were writing songs and things were emerging not only from the Vietnam War but from music that was saying things like if you don't love, oh, if you're not with the one you love, some of you lived through this. Love the one you're. And what were all your parents going? Go with me here. This is so important. The country at that moment was freaking out, going, we're all going to hell in a handbasket. We're all losing this younger generation. We're all going to die. We've lost our moral underpinnings. What is happening to us? And Jesus, I want you to see something. Jesus in his sovereignty coming out of those 60s, coming out of Vietnam, coming out of the lostness, actually raised up a group of people. My parents came to Jesus in this movement, the Jesus People Movement. Some of you came to Jesus during that. Here's what I want you to grasp. I could go all the way back through history. There are times and places where history grows dark, where things grow terrible, like with Daniel, like with Jesus under Roman rule, like with Paul under Roman rule. And when things grow dark and when things grow difficult and when things grow terrible, the church begins to actually rise up. And I'm convinced that the most powerful and most exciting renewal and reviving of God's people does not lay behind us, but rather lays ahead of us. That even though things are looking dark and dim, they look dark and dim in Jesus' day. They look dark and dim in Daniel's day. And I believe that God is looking for a church and the church at large to actually raise up with him and partner with him in prayer and in faith and belief and say the greatest renewals and revivals are actually ahead and meant for our time. Amen, amen. Verily, verily. Truth, truth. Come on, King Jesus. And I don't know about you, But when he comes to me and says, do you want to be well? I want to get up and roll up my little mat and get up and carry it. 
Now listen to me, church. There is a possibility and a probability for us to enter into this love relationship that God is talking about with God, with one another, and to be a part of the days that are ahead. We said last week, what if the man didn't get up from the mat? Could he have missed it? Can the world, the flesh, the devil delay the purposes of God? Yes. Can he defeat them? Never. Listen to me here. There is something that I think God wants us as a church even to partner with him in prayer and stop wringing our hands in defeat and start raising our hands and our faces in glory because as things get darker, he's going to shine brighter. And there's a movement coming on the people of God and the house of God that's going to renew the capital C church. Okay. Gosh, here we are. Lord Jesus, help us. Verse 24, where in the world am I? I think I'm in verse 27, 28. Thank you, Abby's telling me. Do not be amazed at this. Verse 28, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. Whose voice? King Jesus. And they'll come out. And those who have done what is good, this isn't performance. This is surrender their lives to him. And when your life is surrendered for him, you're actually now working with King Jesus, not for him with him. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. There's a crossover here that we experience when we cross over from death to life. We enter into new relationship with God, and fear becomes love. We enter into new relationship with people where hatred becomes love. Bitterness becomes forgiveness. Selfishness even becomes service. We enter into new relationship with ourselves where weakness is suddenly turned into strength. Come on. There's something so powerful here because Jesus is actually saying in all of this that we are called to live from Sabbath, to live from rest. In Philippians, Paul talks about um, that, that we don't work for our salvation, we work out our salvation. Verse 30, but I myself can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but the one who sent me. All right, we've talked about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of Man. We've talked about Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. We've talked about Jesus, the Lord of life. Let's land and talk about Jesus, the judge. Hear me, church. Jesus wants to be your savior before he becomes your judge. All of us will stand before him and judge. In he will issue judgment, not based on what you've done, based on what you did in your heart, based on who you know, based on did you surrender to him. Deuteronomy 117 says, for judgment belongs to God. Psalm 75, seven, it was in our one year Bible reading this morning, says, it is God alone who judges. He decides who will rise and fall. Let's just back off this for just a second before we head into communion. Humanly speaking, for you and I, just judgment is impossible. It's impossible because when we try to judge, our judgment is made unfair by our pride. Come on, some of you. It's made bitter by our jealousy. 
It's made blind by our prejudice. It's made arrogant by our own contempt. It's made harsh by our intolerance. It's made condemning by our self-righteousness. And it's made hostile by our own self-conceit. You and I cannot judge. But this Jesus, who alone is holy, who came and put on human skin and faced every temptation and dealt with everything that we have dealt with, and he walked free of sin on earth, was persecuted. He was a Jewish man, a 30-year-old homeless carpenter, was persecuted and hated he because he passed through all of it in sinless perfection was crucified dead and buried and on the third day he rose from the dead he will judge us because he understands what's happened in all of your life he understands all the past all the present and all the future if I was vulnerable I would say to you I'm 41 I thought I'd be a lot further in my Jesus journey by now Some of you are probably there. You do things, you say things, and you go, oh man, I thought I'd be free of that by now. Let me say something slightly jarring. If you wanna make everyone happy, don't be a disciple of Jesus. If you want to make everyone happy, don't be a leader for Jesus. If you want to make everyone happy, you probably need to go do something like sell ice cream. What Jesus did and who he is cost him his life. And if you recognize who he is, as God incarnate, God in Yahweh God in human skin. And then you recognize who you are as his son or his daughter. It's going to cost you everything. He's going to give back to you more than you can ask, more than you hope, more than you can dream, more than you can imagine, but it won't be on your terms. It won't be your way. It won't be your timing. It won't be how you like it. It will cost you everything. But what I am calling you into, what way more importantly than this is what Jesus is calling you into in this, is that you would begin to know him as God. And the question, even as we take communion this morning, is do you believe he's God, number one? And then what are you going to do in response to what Jesus has done and is doing? Number two. Let's take communion together. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, and I'm going to just want to let the words of Paul, the words that Jesus spoke, or that Paul spoke, as he quotes the Lord Jesus. I want to let them stand as we take communion. This is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, if you want to follow along. He says, For I received from the Lord Jesus what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Jesus, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Father, many of us have fear inside of us because we probably don't understand what you meant by it. Father, I pray that as we approach this table and as we celebrate your body, the bread, your blood, the juice, that we would find ourselves and fix ourselves under the finished work of Christ Jesus, that you have paid it all, that you have done it all, that you've accomplished it all, that you've given all, so that in our weakness you could turn it into strength, so that in our bitterness you could turn it into love, so that in all the things that exist inside of us as humans you could transform us into the very likeness and image of Christ Jesus. Father, would you take these common elements and would you set them apart? And Lord, would you allow each of us in this room to take the next step in whatever Jesus journey we're in? Father, would you allow us to taste of your love more fully, to see your person more fully, to experience your presence more powerfully, and to live the life of Jesus more intimately and daily? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Phil and Patty, if you and your team would come up. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have one uh, station down here in front of you guys. Um, Carol, wave at me, your, your side over there. We're going to have one station here. We're going to have one station in the middle. We're going to have one station over here. What we'd love for you to do is exit your row this way, come down front, and then you can go back and grab a seat. As you come, as you even prepare your hearts, I want you to to think and prepare not what you've done or failed to do, but rest yourself in his Sabbath yoke, which is he's broken the weight of religion and sin. Rest yourself in the finished work of of the cross and appropriate the very life, death, and resurrection of Jesus into you as you celebrate communion. If you'll stand up and come, hold the elements, and then we'll take them together in just a few moments. As we get the elements, would you guys lead us in a song?
As we stand together as a church, take his body and take his blood, eat it and drink it, appropriating the life, death, and resurrection of King Jesus into your life. Take and eat. prayer team will come forward. We have a few people that will be up here for prayer. If you need special prayer, please come up, pray with one of these people. They're trusted leaders and friends here at Saltbox. If you've never given your life to this King Jesus, if you're sitting here today and go, this is wild, I don't know, I've never seen or known a God like this, I'd love to pray with you, I'll be down here in the front. As you walk out of here, walk out inviting the Holy Spirit to encounter you at a new level, revealing the love of God, the love of the Son, and then who you are as a son or as a daughter in Him carry that identity everywhere you go. Lord Jesus, as a church, a 
Would you bless this people? Father, would you watch over us? May we sense your face shining upon us. Lord, may we sense your gracious hand in our lives. Father, will you fill us with your joy, with your love, with your peace? May we know you like we've never known you before. Lord, we praise you for life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.